Hello, friends. Welcome. Delighted that you are here today. We're going to return to the life of one of my favorite first ladies. I just love her because she is such an independent thinker and she was way before her time. I shared a lot of details about her in episode 44 of this podcast, an episode called 1100 Strongly Worded Letters. And so if you haven't listened to it yet, you can check that episode out. It will give you a lot of biographical details about Abigail Adams. We explored many of the letters Abigail wrote to her husband, John Adams, when they were apart from each other. But today I want to concentrate on one of the times when John and Abigail were together. In particular, the years they spent living abroad during the first few years after the American Revolution. So let's dive in. I'm Sharon McMahon, and welcome to the Sharon Says So podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, first let's do a very quick recap of Abigail's early life in case it's been a while since you listened to episode 44. She was born into a very prominent and politically involved Massachusetts family. Her name was Abigail Smith before she got married. She was educated at home by her mother, along with her two sisters, Mary and Betsy. She was taught to read and write something that many girls of her era did not get to experience. And she was given leave to use her father's library and the libraries of her uncles, which meant that she had access to extensive English and French literature libraries. So she developed a reputation for being a very avid reader. And you can see that manifested in the letters that she wrote throughout her life. She often filled them with her favorite passages from literature. She met a man named John Adams, who was nine years older than her when she was 15. Her parents were not convinced that he was a good match for her. He was a very small-time lawyer, making not a lot of money. 
And he had what her parents considered farm manners from his country upbringing. He did not have any level of aristocracy to him. He wasn't refined. But eventually they relented and Abigail and John Adams married in 1764. Unlike the splendor of the wedding between Martha and George Washington, the Adams wedding was a quiet event. When it was over, Abigail joined John on the back of his horse and they rode off together to his little salt box home on the outskirts of Boston. They literally rode off into the sunset. (laughs) This, you know, sort of riding off into the sunset romantic moment was really just the beginning of their very eventful story. Together, they had six children over a period of 12 years, four of whom made it to adulthood. Their daughter, Abigail Adams, who had the nickname Nabby, was the only surviving girl, and she became her mother's constant companion as she grew up. John Adams expanded his legal practice and became increasingly involved in revolutionary politics. And he moved the family and their servants to Boston in 1768. If you don't know, the Adamses did not believe in enslaving humans. He is the only early president of the United States to not own slaves. Instead, they hired white and free African-American workers. And while they didn't practice enslavement, they also were not strongly involved in abolitionist politics. They viewed that the abolition of slavery should be done slowly and with caution. And over the next few years, as his law practice prospered and the violence in Boston began to rise, remember this is the epicenter of colonial discontent against the rule and taxation of the British, The Adams family would move several times between their original country home in Braintree, Massachusetts, and downtown Boston. By 1774, John was away from home regularly, spending much of his time in Philadelphia helping the Continental Congress draft grievances to King George III, and then during the war, working with Congress by sitting on 90 nine-zero committees, strategizing, drafting plans, and becoming a sort of unofficial secretary of war. A few years later, John Adams, along with his 10-year-old son, John Quincy Adams, sailed to France to join Benjamin Franklin and Arthur Lee to negotiate an alliance with France. But by the time John Adams arrived, Benjamin Franklin had already signed a deal. And during that time, John Adams's hostility towards his fellow diplomat grew. John Adams went home, but he did not stay there for very long. The following year, without talking to Abigail first, he accepted Congress's offer to return to Europe. And this time he went to France with two of his sons, John Quincy and his younger son, Charles. He wrote to Abigail on the evening of his departure from Boston. And this is what he said. Let me entreat you 
to keep up your spirits and throw off cares as much as possible. Love to Nabby and Tommy. We shall yet be happy. I hope and pray, and I don't doubt it. I shall have vexations enough as usual. You will have anxiety and tenderness enough as usual. Pray strive not to have too much. I will write by every opportunity I can get. By 1783, John's European duties had separated him from his wife, his daughter, and his youngest son, Thomas, for nearly four years. And when Congress started bouncing around the idea of sending John Adams to London to become the U.S. ambassador to Great Britain, Abigail was, to put it mildly, fretful. She wanted him to come home and not prolong his stay in Europe. Here's a portion of her letter to John in June of 1783. It reads, I do not wish you to accept an embassy to England should you be appointed. This little cottage has more heartfelt satisfaction for you than the most brilliant court can afford. The pure and undiminished tenderness of wedded love, the filial affection of a daughter who will never act contrary to the advice of a father or give pain to the maternal heart. She was basically saying like, please come home. We love you. But Nevertheless, John Adams ultimately did accept the position. And so Abigail began making preparations to join her husband overseas. The plan was to first arrive in Paris, where he was still situated, and then move to London. In her 39 years of life, Abigail had never left Massachusetts. In fact, she'd rarely even left the coastline around Boston. The city may have been well-established, but it really only had a population of about 15,000 people. But Paris was home to 650,000 people. So you can imagine how intimidating the thought of traveling across the ocean to settle in somewhere so different had to be for Abigail. She was nervous about the voyage, which in the 1700s averaged about 30 days at sea. And she was nervous about leaving the comforts of home and the people that she loved. I'm somebody who gets terrible motion sickness, and the idea of spending 30 days at sea is an immediate hard nope from me. (laughs) And another member of the Adams family who did not want to move to Europe was Abigail and John's daughter, who was 18 at the time, Nabby. Nabby had recently become acquainted with a gentleman named Royal Tyler. And Royal Tyler had graduated from Harvard with her brother, John Quincy, and began boarding with Abigail's sister, Mary, and her brother-in-law until he sort of figured out what he wanted to do with his life. But Royal Tyler was not a very serious young man, and Abigail described him in a letter to John as having a sprightly fancy and a warm imagination, but he was rather negligent in pursuing his business. And John Adams thought Nabby was too young to be courted. Interestingly enough, of course, he met Abigail when she was 15, but he felt like Nabby was too young when she was 18. He eventually relented and acknowledged their engagement. 
Nabby was head over heels for Royal Tyler. And the idea of having to move to Europe and being separated from him had to feel terrible. She had to feel like that is a serious bummer. And so when she went with Abigail, she did keep up her correspondence with Royal Tyler for a number of months, but eventually the distance did not make her heart grow fonder. Her feelings cooled off and she broke off her engagement, which was actually a big relief to her family who had come to worry that he was never going to change his lazy ways. And we don't really know if Nabby ended up regretting that decision, but we do know that Royal Tyler eventually did get serious about his work, and he went on to have a very successful career in politics and literature. He ended up getting married to somebody else and moved to Vermont, and they had 11 children. And then he became Chief Justice of the Vermont Supreme Court and a professor at the University of Vermont. He also wrote a comedy play that was performed for George Washington and a bunch of other essays and poems, published a novel. But Nabby, on the other hand, did not find luck in marriage. But on the eve of their travel abroad to France, she was still a young woman in love with Royal Tyler. She had not yet broken up with him. And not long before Abigail, Nabby, and Thomas left for Paris in July of 1784, Abigail became acquainted with someone who would become a treasured friend over the next several years. I talked a little bit about this friendship in my past episode about Abigail Adams, but that person was Thomas Jefferson. He had been elected as minister plenipotentiary by the Confederation Congress and was also due to set sail for Europe that same month. And we don't really use the term minister plenipotentiary anymore. (laughs) They're not technically an ambassador, but they are a diplomat that acts on a government's behalf, and they have the power to do things like sign treaties and represent other countries at conventions. We have all had embarrassing moments where something didn't smell quite right. And if you have any children or people in your lives who have stinky toes, stinky feet, and those stinky shoes pile up by the door of your house and then when people come over they're like um your house smells weird there's a solution for that and it is not necessarily spraying down your house with disinfectant it is taking care of the smell at the source by using lumi on places like the people in your house's stinky feet it is a whole body deodorant it is safe to use anywhere on your body. It was created by a doctor who saw firsthand how stinky feet and other body parts are often misdiagnosed as problems when in reality you could just use a product like Lumi and it would take care of the issue. It has been clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant a cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code SHARON at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code SHARON. 
The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress in our life. Absolutely. It's unavoidable. It's just part of the human experience. But some of us have more than others, and some of us handle it better than others. Some of us really keep it bottled up, and it can start to affect us negatively. I would imagine at some point in your life, you can relate to this, right? And therapy is a safe space to be able to get some of these things off your chest. And that is why so many people find benefit in speaking to a qualified professional. If you're thinking about starting therapy for something like managing your stress, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Sharon today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Sharon. We hear from a lot of interesting people on this podcast, and I know that I am always hungry for more. And what if you could learn from the world's best all in one place? Guess what? You can. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with over 200 of the world's best instructors. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And you can access Masterclass on your phone, your computer, your smart TV, even in audio modes, you can listen to it like a podcast. I know that when I watch Doris Kearns Goodwin, that first of all, I'm going to be getting fantastic information, that the production level is going to be incredible. And then I'm going to walk away feeling smarter and more informed than I was before. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Sharon. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Sharon. Masterclass.com slash Sharon. After Thomas Jefferson met Abigail in Boston as she was getting ready to leave, he wrote a letter to John Adams and said, I have hastened myself on my journey in hopes of having the pleasure of attending Mrs. Adams to Paris and lessening some of the difficulties to which she may be exposed. But it was way more difficult to coordinate ocean liner schedules in 1784 than it is to call a 1-800 number and change airline tickets today. So he was not able to actually make the trip with Abigail, Nabby, and Thomas, but he left two weeks later. They all arrived in Paris in August of 1784. At first, Abigail had a very difficult time settling into Paris. She was overwhelmed by the size of their house. She'd always lived in modest dwellings. It was way bigger than their farmhouse in Braintree. And she had to learn how to run this huge house with a slew of servants. And then there was a language barrier. But as the months began to pass, she began to enjoy herself. She made friends. She loved the theater and the opera. And she wrote often to her nieces, describing the architecture, the fashions, and the customs that she observed while she was in France. 
She relied on her daughter, Nabby, for companionship and met the Marquis de Lafayette, of whom she wrote, When I arrived at the door, the Marquis, with the freedom of an old acquaintance and the rapture peculiar to the ladies of this nation, caught me by the hand and gave me a salute upon each cheek, most heartily rejoiced to see me. She went so far as to compliment French ladies just sort of in general and said, the dress of the French ladies is like their manners, light and airy and genteel. They're easy in their deportment, eloquent in their speech, and their voices are soft and musical. Their attitudes are pleasing. That's some very high praise, by the way. So it was with some disappointment Abigail, after nine months in France, had to leave London. Their family was moving in the springtime, and Abigail was not happy about it. She lamented about leaving behind her beautiful Paris gardens right as they were getting ready to bloom. And her discontent continued when they arrived in London. There, she filled the role of dutiful wife of the first U.S. minister to the court of St. James. In contrast to Paris, Abigail felt more isolated in London, where she was often given the cold shoulder by polite society. Listen, I know if you pick up any kind of beauty magazine or you follow an influencer, there's like a new skincare product every single day of the week, and it can be really difficult to know which ones to even try, like which one is worth your money. And if you're tired of cycling through ineffective skincare trends and overcomplicated routines, you might be excited to know that one of today's sponsors is OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy. No complicated routines, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. The secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS1 peptide. It's the first ingredient proven to switch off the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. I especially like the eye cream. It's not too thick where you feel like it's going to clog all your pores, but it goes on really, really nicely under makeup. For a limited time, you'll get an exclusive 15% off your first OneSkin purchase using the code SHARON when you check out at oneskin.co. That's O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O. Try OneSkin and enjoy younger, healthier skin without all the extra steps. That's oneskin.co, code SHARON. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. 
jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. One bright spot in Abigail's life while the family settled into London was her guardianship of Thomas Jefferson's young daughter. Her real name was Maria, but she went by the nickname Polly. And Abigail came to feel a deep and lifelong love for her. Just a little tiny bit of background on how Abigail Adams came to be Polly Jefferson's guardian while they were in London. Thomas Jefferson's wife died and left him with three young daughters. And one of them, named Patsy, he sort of kept with him. She was old enough to be a little bit more independent and to help him out. And the two younger daughters, Polly and Lucy, he sent to live with family while he went off to France. And while he was in France, he got a letter saying that Lucy, who was two years old, had died. And he just could not bear the thought of losing another child. He and his wife had lost many children and his wife had died at a very young age. And so he made arrangements with his family for them to send Polly to him. He did not want to be apart from her anymore. But Polly barely remembered her dad. She did not remember her mom. And she did not want to move to France. She was happy with the family that she was staying with. And so in order to get her on the boat, they had to trick her. They brought her down to the harbor and they made it seem like she was just going on a tour of the boat and she played with her little cousins on the boat until she fell asleep. And then they snuck off the boat and she was sailing for London. And they did send somebody to accompany her. She was a young girl. The entire crew was mostly adult men. They sent somebody to take care of her while they were crossing the Atlantic. And that person was Sally Hemings. Thomas Jefferson's father-in-law fathered Sally Hemings. And then, of course, if you are a student of history, you'd know that Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings had multiple children together. But this was before that time. Sally Hemings was approximately 15 or 16 years old when she accompanied Polly Jefferson to London. Eventually, Thomas Jefferson sent somebody to pick her up. And Abigail wrote back to Thomas Jefferson and was like, you really should have come yourself. He had sent one of his servants who spoke only French, 
Polly spoke no French, and so to be sent with a stranger who did not speak the language from England to France now, to be with a dad that she barely knew, it had to be tremendously upsetting to her. And then once she arrived, Thomas Jefferson enrolled both Polly and Patsy in a convent. In a convent. And he did continue to see them. It wasn't like a convent where it was like, bye, I'll never see you again. He did see them again. But Abigail Adams also wrote him a letter and was like, you should not put them in a convent. But nevertheless, they were his to raise as he saw fit. Abigail Adams actually said, like, I would keep her. I would keep her longer if you want me to. She had a lasting impact on Abigail Adams. So we know that Nabby Adams breaks up with Royal Tyler. And she set her sights on a dashing new man, William Stevens Smith. Smith was the secretary to the American delegation in London, and he worked closely with John Adams. He was the son of a wealthy merchant and a Princeton graduate and a veteran of the Revolutionary War. He'd been on George Washington's staff. On paper, he was perfect. This is the perfect man for our daughter. He checks all of the boxes. And they got married while they were living in London in 1786. They eventually came back to New York to settle down, and they had four children. William, John, Thomas, and Caroline. Throughout the years, Nabby's husband, William Smith, was appointed to several federal jobs, but he spent more money than he earned, much of it on these sort of get-rich-quick schemes that amounted to nothing but loss for the family. And by 1809, Nabby, William, and their children lived modestly on a small farm in central New York. And though Abigail often fretted over the well-being of her daughter, their families eventually stopped giving them money and job favors. But in 1810, Nabby discovered a small lump in her breast, which turned out to be breast cancer. And in 1811, she returned to Boston and had a mastectomy without anesthesia. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the emotional and physical pain of going through a mastectomy as a young woman with no anesthesia and then trying to recover from a major surgery with absolutely with nothing like even an Advil to help you with the pain? Both Abigail and John held her hands while she sat through the surgery. When she felt well enough, she returned to her home in New York, but the cancer came back. And two years later, Nabby took her last breath in her childhood home in Braintree, which is now called Quincy, with Abigail by her side. Abigail and John's son, John Quincy, I bet you know what happens to him. He met a woman named Louisa Johnson while he was working in London, and he went to Harvard, became a lawyer. And John, who had been working tirelessly to get Britain to uphold their end of the post-war treaty obligations, finally said, listen, you've got to let me go home. I've got to go back to Massachusetts. And the family began tying up loose ends and preparing for a long trip back across the Atlantic. Once they were home, they had a few months of peace on their farm before John 
was elected vice president of the United States, serving under George Washington. It was an entirely new role. No one had ever been a vice president before, like anywhere, anytime, ever in the world. And there really was not much for Adams to do in an official capacity. He actually hated being vice president. He wrote letters to Abigail and was like, this is the worst job of all time. (laughs) Said in a much more formal language, but he absolutely hated being the vice president. John Adams was a very smart man and it was kind of a do-nothing role. You're just a placeholder in case George Washington kicks it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sitting here waiting for nothing to do. It's a terrible job. And over the next decade... Abigail divided her time between the United States Capitol, which was first in New York and then in Philadelphia, a city that she hated, by the way, and Braintree, where she continued to manage the family farm. John Adams was inaugurated as the second president of the United States on March 4th, 1797 in Philadelphia, but Abigail was not there. She was taking care of John's mother, who was very sick and who died shortly afterward. And although Abigail previously swore she would never return to Philadelphia, she joined John in the temporary capital to oversee the duties of First Lady. She began a formal pattern of entertaining in the way Martha Washington before her had done. She regularly received guests in their home. And in November of 1800, around the same time as the election that saw John Adams lose a second term as president, Abigail oversaw their move from Philadelphia to the newly constructed presidential mansion in Washington, D.C. She would become the first first lady to live in the White House. And they only spent about three months in this new presidential residence. But Abigail's letters to family members revealed her displeasure. She found the building to be crudely finished and almost completely unfurnished. And she warned Nabby in her letter to keep her thoughts a secret because she did not want people to think that she was being ungrateful. And on New Year's Day in 1801, she opened up the mansion for the New Year's reception, a tradition that would go on to be enjoyed by diplomats, government officials, military officers, the public, until it ended in 1932 when Herbert Hoover was president. After John Adams lost to Thomas Jefferson, Abigail wrote to her son that she had few regrets about retiring from public life, saying, at my age, with my bodily infirmities, I shall be happier at home. Abigail Adams had what they called at the time rheumatism. Today, Abigail Adams has the distinction of being one of only two women who were married to one president and mother to another. She shared that honor with Barbara Bush. Thomas Jefferson and John Adams famously parted ways for many, many years until Abigail one day received the news that Thomas Jefferson's daughter, Polly, died at the young age of 26. Abigail knew what it was like to lose a child. 
and wrote to Thomas Jefferson, offering her condolences and saying, listen, I know what it's like, and I'm so sorry you're going through this. And while that wasn't the final reconciliation of their relationship, it did kick a toe in the door. Abigail died in 1818, six years before John Quincy Adams took office. And stay tuned over the next few weeks as we learn more about John Quincy's wife, Louisa, and her unique path to serve as First Lady. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Sharon Says So podcast. I am truly grateful for you. And I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast or maybe leave me a rating or a review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All of those things help podcasters out so much. This podcast was written and researched by Sharon McMahon and Heather Jackson. It was produced by Heather Jackson, edited and mixed by our audio producer, Jenny Snyder, and hosted by me, Sharon McMahon. I'll see you next time.